Building Men is brought to you by Finish the Race Apparel, ftrapparel.com, the creators of all things Building Men, and by Become Stronger Industries, become-stronger.com, the creators of handmade steel maces, hammers, and other badass equipment. And man, when you get into that deliberately at work or just in life, whatever, uh, you would not want to be a, a task on your task list. You're going to get destroyed because you're single point focused. You are fast, accurate. You're wise. Um, the anandamide specifically is one of my favorites to highlight. Those levels start going higher than normal when a human is in flow state. And that gets you um, basically this, this level of focus where the, the grittiness, the agitation of work just goes away. It almost becomes playful. You're listening to the Building Men Podcast with Dennis and Anthony Miralda, brothers on a mission to help you become the strongest version of yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Welcome back to the Moralda Minute brought to you by Corona Premier. Let's talk about the evenings. What is our evening routine? So we are chronically tired but wired as a society. We go from work to smacking food to watching Netflix or scroll on our way to the dark side of Instagram. Our head hits the pillow after and our brains are still going and we wonder why we're exhausted the next day. So we need to take time to wind ourselves down. Begin letting our body and mind know that it's time to relax. So what does this look like? Stop eating two to three hours before you go to sleep. This is going to help with digestion and allow you simply to focus on recovery and not processing this food that you just ate. Next, dim the lights or preferably go by candlelight. If you're going to be staring at screens, try blue blocking glasses. Try turning the TV off maybe an hour or two before you go to bed. Read a book. Do some light mobility. Journal. Anything that slows you down is going to help you get ready for sleep. Then for your room, try to create a room resembling that of a cave. Make it cold and make it dark. And finally, your bed is only for two things, for sleep and for sex. So this is your sanctuary for your body. This is your sanctuary for your body to heal and recover. So make this a priority. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Building Men podcast. As always, I am your host, Dennis Meralda, and I am joined today. It's interesting, this guest is a little bit different than other guests, someone that I was introduced to in the Building Men world, but we have since become business partners of a sense uh, and friends. His name is Jason Henkel. He is the founder and chief balance engineer. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a friend. He has created the Focus to Evolve movement. Jason Henkel, what is up, my man? What's going on? Good to be on Building Men. I yeah, appreciate dude. everything you're doing out in the world, man. I'm just I'm just proud to be a part of it in any way. Thanks for having me on. As always, yeah, it's it's interesting. We connected in a, a coaching capacity, and I really didn't have a lot of background about you. Angelo Cisco connected us. The alpha hippie Angelo has been on the podcast once or twice. I was on Angelo's podcast and he said, I got a guy I want to introduce you to. So we connected, started chatting a little bit. And then I started to do, do research for another guest that I had on the podcast. It was Jordan Montgomery, one of my favorite dudes, great, great guests on the podcast. And I'm researching Jordan and I listened to his podcast. And all of a sudden, Jason Henkel's on as a guest. And I was like, what the hell? 
I'm already talking to this guy. I had no idea what you were doing in your professional life. We had just been connected on a like more of a personal level. Yeah, no, exactly. And, uh, and Jordan, he's top shelf. I love that guy's energy. I mean, you can be within a hundred miles of him and your vibrations going up. <laughs> he's, he's just amazing. So being on his podcast and just getting into his world um, has, has been really meaningful in my life too. So yeah, and I'll tell you what's part of our hookup. Definitely. And one of the cool things, Jordan Montgomery, he's such a family man. I mean, he just exudes this like Christian dynamic. Like if you do something wrong in your life, just go stand next to him for five minutes. Like the spirit of Jesus will run through him and cleanse you of anything bad that you've done. That's the way I feel about that guy. So we connected. And one of the things that I, that I loved was of all the people that I met through building men, to have an opportunity to, to meet you in person as well. So you were doing a pretty cool adventure and I'll start our, our journey here. You were doing a pretty cool adventure with your son, Liam, who is, who was 16 years old at the time. Did Liam turn 17 yet? Yep, still 16. 16. So it's right around the corner though. It's his 17th birthday. It's coming up soon. So he's, um, he's 16 years old. You and Liam are in the Washington DC area and you're like, Hey, we're going to be heading through Jersey. Let's connect. And I'm like, you know, we're going to go offer some good pizza. So we met up, we met out at De Lorenzo's, which I'll give a shout out. It's, I mean, it's one of the top 10 has to be in the United States. I know on the Barstool Sports, Dave Portnoy, uh, Stool Presidente on Instagram, he has De Lorenzo's in his top 10. I just think the pizza's phenomenal. So I was like, we're going to, we'll meet out for some good pizza. So you and you and Liam came up through Jersey, uh, met my family. We went out to dinner at De Lorenzo's and then you went on the rest of this journey. So you got to tell us about this whole challenge that you did. It's, it'll, it'll let people know a little bit about, about who you are. Yeah. Well, first of all, let, let's do a separate podcast about De Lorenzo's pizza. Yeah. But it, well, that'd be a whole other thing. That's how damn good that pizza yes. was. So, nice pick there. But yeah, what was going on there is, um, so my son, Liam, 16-year-old teenage boy, red-blooded, going fast, got his ideas on the world, and he's he's rolling. And um, I noticed that uh, over a somewhere, somewhere along the lines of about between 13 and a half and 16, I just wasn't able to connect with him. He was just moving so fast and doing his life. And it's a tough thing for a parent to have to detach and let him go do his life. And uh, this idea came up where I just said, hey, out of the blue, Liam, man, I got to spend a little time with you. I don't even know where you are, what you're doing. And I, I get it. I don't want to hold you back. I want you to run fast and, and support you. But what? A, what? A, let's go on a road trip. That's where it all started. And uh, then we just kind of went into that conversation and let our minds go uh, wherever it needed to go. And we ended up coming up with this concept called the 100 flip trip. <laughs> All right. So we titled it. And, and once we came up with that, I actually then went and got T-shirts made for us. The 100 flip trip T-shirts. I should have been wearing that one today. Uh, but right, right. It was, yeah, it was really cool. So we actually um, had a home renovation going at the time and all this stuff is going on. And we were out of the house for a, a three and a half month period while that was being renovated. So it was a really liminal time of our lives. And um, we we landed on this time when we were over at my in-laws at Tanya or at uh, Liam's grandparents in DC. And that was going to be the jump off point for the 100 flip trip. And just to kind of get to the nub of it, what it is, is we decided we were going to um, come up with a start point and then uh, begin flipping a coin and we'll flip that coin 100 times. Every flip represents any time we come to a left or a right-hand turn. And uh, so it, it was really interesting how that all happened. Uh, 
I'll get into the details of the yeah. flips if you actually won because yeah, yeah. it led to some funny, yeah. serendipitous, weird things. And we ended up in the Catskill Mountains by the end. Let's just put it that way. But on our way up, uh, Liam, Liam said, hey, before we kind of start the flips, I've never seen New York City. So we wanted to get up to New York City. And lo and behold, on the way, there's Dennis. You know, he lives in, uh, you know, just outside. So we went on up there, had some amazing pizza, and that kind of kicked us into gear. And every day of this trip, we didn't really have a number of days budgeted. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know where we were going. And we just really had nothing budgeted. No hotels. We didn't know anything. And so the only rule was every day we had to do 100 burpees of the 100 flip trip. And so after eating that big pizza pie, man, we were out there doing uh, uh, our burpees because we hadn't done it. And I think we had to do like 40 more after yeah. that pizza. Yep. <laughs> that was a brick in the stomach, but we did it. We did it. And so we uh, then went into Manhattan. We got into Manhattan at like 1230 at night and went on into uh, Times Square and Liam's eyes are just this big. He, he looks over at me and he's like, Dan, he goes, you know how movies usually exaggerate things? He said, real life in Times Square is actually not, it, it's it's less, the movies are less than the real life because it was right. just overwhelming. He didn't even know that many humans were on earth, let alone out at 1.30 or, you know, at 1 a.m. And we ended up doing, uh, it was the next morning. So at 1 a.m. we did a couple more <laughs> burpees in uh, uh, Central Park and the rats were running around us <laughs> left and right. Kind of an adventure there. But then the next morning, we went up to the Hamptons, drove way out Long Island, went out to the Hamptons, slept in the car, uh, then rode out of the Hamptons because I didn't want to be stuck on Long Island for these hundred flips. You know, right. you'd get stuck. So I got out. We went on up into kind of mainland. And uh, I'm skipping all kinds of weird and interesting details to get to this point. But by the time we got out, about two hours outside into the mainland, and uh, we started the 100 flips. And so each each left or right hand turn we came to we flipped and it just led down this beautiful weird path that um uh there was also one more item after the 100 flips and 100 turns wherever the car was pointing we had to pull out google maps and go 100 miles in that direction and that would that's kind of where we would end it and that ended up being i think four or five days later where that ended and the cool part was it ended on a mountain uh, called Hunter Mountain, which apparently at random is the highest mountain in all of the Catskills. And so we were just buzzing around the Catskill Mountains. Uh, we went to Woodstock. Uh, you know, we, we just saw so many things. And one of my bucket list items, one of the really serendipitous things here is I wanted to stay in a monastery. Before I left, I was like, I just want Liam and I to stay in a monastery and maybe even just have a 24-hour quiet period. We're not allowed to talk. Um, you know, we really did not have anything planned. We just wanted practicing deep, slow presence with each other. Uh, he did not do social media. We allowed him, I think it was like 20 minutes of social media per day just to let his friends know, hey, I'm still alive or whatever. But it was total off the grid. And, you know, his brain chemistry changed within a 24-hour period. He was like back to presence. We were having the deepest conversations about anything you could imagine. So any dads that ever listen to this, to jump off the grid and to do it in a way where you just let the cosmos blow you around, it, it was just amazing. And I'll never forget, he looked at me and he's like, we're halfway in. And he's like, I don't, 
he said something along the lines of, uh, I realize now you, you got to go and do things that make you feel good. Like he, he, he knew this in the deepest sense. We were up on a mountain doing some push-ups with our shirt off and just out in the wilderness. You know, Catskills, I don't know if you spent any time up there, but it gets pretty remote. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so we were just kind of two mountain men and I got my, my mountain man beard going <laughs> yep. and it was just so special. And the connection was made and really my theme, I wanted him to know by the end of that time together that I love him. I'm proud of him. And I do trust him. Uh, he, you know, I do have some guardrails on him, but I, I, my guardrails are probably a little wider than, than most parents, uh, to be honest. Uh, cause I, Liam is a, a boy who's, he's a young man who's, uh, he's allergic to convention. And you've got you've grown to know him now. And so he's if something just doesn't sit right with him, he's not going to sit there and just do it for the sake of doing it because mommy and daddy said. Right. So, you know, I had to give him about 15 or 20 feet of grass on each side of the road before I put my <laughs> my guardrails up and I'll always be here to support him. But that trip brought us to a to the point where I understood him way better and he understood me way better with deep respect. We each got a chance to say what needed to be said. And I'm skipping a lot of the detail of what brought us together in terms of you then coaching Liam, which I am forever grateful for. He went through a really rough patch there. And uh, you were a, a quintessential part of him being able to stand back up and get back to self-reliance and, and realizing, you know, he's a man in the making. Um, but there is mature masculinity out there and there is toxic masculinity and you need some guidance on how to do that. And no one does it better than you. So thanks for all you've done. And um, that that was kind of what the 100 flip trip is. Uh, well, last thing I'll say, P.S. At random, on that 100th mile, guess what parking lot we ended up in? A um, Tibetan monastery. Out of thin air, had no idea it was there. And it's one of the Dalai Lama's North American uh, gather points. So he stays there when he comes to North America. It was a legit monastery. And a Lama came out and started talking to Liam and I. So we did not get to stay the night in the monastery because you had to be involved in their their, uh, meditations. And it was a whole program. You stay like three days if you want to do it. Um, But I got my monastery check in the box. And I'm telling you, I checked every box there was to check on that trip and we just left it up to the universe to bounce us in those directions uh so it was special man that's all i could say well so after the after that experience we we left having dinner together you went out and you did the burpees i have about 30 questions just in rapid fire let me know a couple things real quick um the the burpees first of all was it collaborative 100 burpees or 100 burpees each 100 burpees each each 100 burpees each each day. All right, that makes it even yep. more challenging. That's yep. burpees suck. Like there's no way to get around it. Burpees suck. They just they're you know it's the devil just being like go fuck yourself. That's <laughs> that is that is what a burpee is. But so the fact that you incorporated the 100 burpees in each. And so how many days did you go total? So the total I think was the the fifth day is when we arrived back home tired, beat up, and ready for a bed. I think we right. slept in the car two of the nights. And one of the nights, I don't think we went to bed. We ended up just driving through. Uh, then we stayed in a hotel that was, <laughs> good Lord, this there's no way this hotel was legal. I mean, <laughs> no way. 
some of the things going in there, I should be arrested for even being within 100 feet. Just your place. eyes. You have to wash your eyeballs out by seeing what goes on in those hotels. Yeah, there's like these little tiny, really off the grid, scary spots. It's like the Northeast Deliverance uh, <laughs> of, of motels or hotels. All right. So then you mentioned the Dalai Lama at the, the monastery. So here it's fascinating. We had Akshay Nanavate on episode 116. He's a, just a total badass. He'll be back on, on the podcast again soon. But he's the guy who was, he wrote the book Fearvana. Unbelievable book. I highly recommend Fearvana. But he's the guy who's going to be the first human being ever to go across Antarctica by himself, like solo. Like he's basically bringing a sled with him. And he's going to a hundred day trek. No one's ever done it in the history of the world. Like he wants it, he'll be the first person. Anyway, so as he's, as we have him on the podcast, he's talking about the Dalai Lama has endorsed his book, Fearvana. And it was wow. my own naive, like I was naive about this. Like I'm like, I've heard about the Dalai Lama before, but I didn't know that there were like levels, like scaffolding of llamas to get to the Dalai Lama. So you just mentioned you saw a llama and my immediate thing was the animal. And I'm like, wait, you saw a llama there. So you got to at least school us a little bit about the, like how do llamas work in this, this monastery? Give us a little bit about that. Yeah. Llama, uh, a llama is kind of like a, a, like if you go to priest, it's sub priest, uh, but probably a, a little bit, you know, different context in the Buddhist religion. And, um, you know, I, I'm not one to really talk about what all a llama is, but it's basically someone on the path to a, a level of transcendence and awareness and consciousness and non-duality that is not common. <laughs> I mean, these are people who, who really work it. And, uh, you know, it's the case in all religions. Um, you know, when you get real serious and start to get into the mystical levels beyond the mind, um, where the real mystery and the real boogaloo is, uh, that's that's what a llama is. They're they're on the way to transcendence and just literally non-duality and, and love. So that's what it is. It's got a priest. I uh, I didn't I didn't recognize it. I just thought it was just the Dalai Lama, and I thought that that was his name, like uh, you know, like Jason Henkel, Dalai Lama. So I did learn something here today. Is there is is there like a like just below the Dalai? Do you have to go from a regular llama to like a super llama and then to the Dalai Lama? Yeah, you know, the Dalai Lama is selected at birth. Uh, it, it, there's That's only a lot one of, of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. What well, if you're, you're like, you know what, screw this? I want to go drink with my friends. I don't want that pressure. Exactly. Wow. No. Yeah, that's it. No, that, that dude's in. They picked him. They knew it. Um, and the kids started enlightenment right away. I don't know. If you like watch a documentary about the Dalai Lama, actually, it's, it's wild. Um, some of the things that happened for him to get there the coincidences that come together, it seems really supernatural. And I almost wouldn't believe some of the stuff if it wasn't just true. Um, but uh, no, he's a special guy, the Dalai Lama and the llamas I'm are too. So, I'm so glad I asked the question. I was like, do I go down the llama path right now? I'm really happy that I decided to go down the llama path. The fact that they're selected at birth, that is wild to me. It's absolutely wild. I mean, I might call this like rites of passage in the Dalai Lama with Jason Henkel. It has nothing to yeah. do with what you're doing. But I want to give you credit for one, just that experience you had with your son. When you talk about a rite of passage, it wasn't like you said, we're going to go stay at a five-star resort. We're going to an island. Like, we're going to rough it, and we're going to do a little bit of the Forrest Gump thing with the feather flying in the wind. Life is like a box of chocolates. So you're leaving a lot up to chance, but within that chance experience, the intentionality around having that connection with your son I 
after you got back, I was like, we need to talk about this, but let's do it on the podcast. Cause I want to learn about this experience. And the fact that you said like, you came back from this trip with a deeper connection to Liam. And I know Liam, I've known him for, it's going on almost a year right now that I've been working with Liam and seeing the young man that he has become has been such a gratifying experience for me. I remember when I first started talking to him, he was in, he was in a tough spot in his life. And just to see he put in the work, he did what I asked him to do. He challenged himself. It wasn't always smooth. You know, there were times that he was, you know, he's walking on a, you know, pavement with some glass everywhere. And it was like, what are you doing here, kid? But he does. He has a very unique sense of the world. And I'm real proud of him. I mean, and credit to you and to your wife. And you guys have done a great job raising him. And and I appreciate your level of trust in me. You know, you we didn't really know each other before we had our first conversation when you're like, hey, you know, do you want to talk to my son for a while? And so I, I just wanted to recognize that and just appreciate your faith in me and, and helping him out. No, all the credit in the world to you and the, and the way you're able to talk to a teenage person. It's, it's unbelievable. It's a craft and you have it. So thank you. Yeah, no, my pleasure. And, and it's funny, it's led us into potentially working together in some capacity around what you're doing with focus to evolve. And in prep for this episode, I mean, I, you know, did the research on what you're doing. I knew you personally, but I was like, let me get a little bit more into the focus to evolve realm and idea. And I actually took the course yesterday. I went through the, the virtual course and it was cool seeing you in the instructor capacity, teaching me things that some of the things were like, yeah, I understand that, but I never thought about it in the way that you were presenting it. And some of the things were brand new to me. So I'm going to start with from the, the from the llama talk into two different areas. The first is about flow state. It's something that you hear you hear about athletes that are in the zone in this in this state where you just feel like things are going in the right direction. So for those of us that are listening right now that don't really understand what flow state means, how would you tell the lay person about it? Building men of character, integrity, strength, compassion, and empathy through coaching mentoring, professional development, facilitation, and motivational speaking is our mission here at Building Men to work with me. Information is in the show notes on our website at buildingmen.io, or you can send me an email at buildingmencoach at gmail.com. We are here to help you become the strongest version of yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Now, back to the show. Yeah, flow state, the first thing I would say, it's a, it's a state of being, it's a chemical state, basically, that all humans can enter deliberately or accidentally. Most of us have found ourselves in a form of flow state on accident. Might be in a shower where you just start thinking very clearly and quickly or cleanly or driving down the highway and your favorite song's on, it's Friday, the weekend's ahead, and you just happen to have a good chemical position in your body. And it's it's you being basically optimized. You're you're uh, uh, according to McKinsey and Company, a human that's in flow state is roughly five times faster, more accurate, and more access to heuristic wisdom than you the version of you who is not in this flow state. And when I say chemical position, it's basically just think of some neurotransmitters and some hormones, uh, serotonin, anandamide, dopamine, endorphins, norepinephrine. These things are at particular levels where you, what I like to call, I always say it, it's uh, it's kind of like you going into your crouching tiger hidden dragon mode. And man, when you get into that deliberately at work or just in life, whatever, uh, you would not want to be a, a task on your task list. You're going to get destroyed. 
because you're single point focused, you are fast, accurate, you're wise. Um, the anandamide specifically is one of my favorites to highlight. Those levels start going higher than normal when a human is in flow state. And that gets you um, basically this, this level of focus where the, the grittiness, the agitation of work just goes away. It almost becomes playful. And when you can do that in bursts throughout a work day, you get to accomplish more work than you would have done all day yesterday in literally two or three hours. And it's, it's as real as real gets. And so I just want everyone in the world to really, A, know what flow state is and B, know you as a human, you have access to it. This magical meatloaf and the chemicals in your body make it so. And it's not that hard to enter, actually, once you start becoming aware of how to enter it. And once you feel the result of it on the other side, if you've never been one to deliberately enter flow state, ooh, you never go back once you feel that. I, I learned uh, I learned how to you know, do this. I was one of the early graduates out of the Flow Genome Project with Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel. And um, my goodness, did that catapult me into a different level of being able to just get more meaningful work done in way less hours leaving, leaving, you know, that, that pretty much gives you freedom, gives you more liberation, gives you more time, more energy for the family after work, just this big cascading uh, impact. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting in that, like the intentionality again, around the way you created this program before we get into how it came about the origins of focus to evolve the other more woo woo thing you talk about woo woo on, on the, the, the modules, and just to close the loop on the Dalai Lama piece, the spiritual piece, you talk about these biorhythms that we experience. It's funny. I was telling Julie about it last night and Julie is, she's a student of the moon. She is just like, oh, cool. the moon impacts us in a really deep way. And there's a part of me, I'm like, all right. Okay. So, you know, the moon is aligned with Saturn and it's in, and it's in like a tourist spot. So that means I need to like burn shit tonight and I'm going to have a cleansing. And so she believes in it. And I'm like, all right, tell me about it. But then you get into it. And I'm like, I got to tell you, Jason was talking about biorhythms and the moon and an impact. And he has like a chart. She's like, see, I told you, I told you there's legitimacy behind it. And I kind of like pooed it a little bit. So yeah. I want you to talk to us a little bit about that idea. So you have the, like this, the sun, like how the, the sun impacts us, our circadian rhythm, the moon. And then you called it, I think it was ultradium rhythms, if I have that correct. So talk to us first about the moon. Like, tell us a little bit about that for the people out there. They're like, all right, you know, yeah. whatever, moon child stuff. That was me, by the way. And you tell me that I'm affected by the moon. Uh, I would have told you to get out of my office right. immediately and never call back. Uh, but then one of the one of the um, coaches that I had hired in my big transition out of my trance of busyness uh, was someone who said, hey, Jay, um, I know that us men all think females are the only one that deal with the moon cycle, the 30 day cycle. But I'm here to tell you, any multi-celled organism, it is mathematically proven, is deeply affected by the moon, by the moon phase. And so I said, again, yeah, right. Uh, but he goes, okay, what we're going to do is you're going to chart. You're going to chart for six months on a lot of variables, ranging from mental clarity, brain fog, to sexual drive, to just general motivation. How well did you sleep? Did you sleep deeply? All these variables. And I did it over a six-month period because it was part of the program. 
And lo and behold, man, I couldn't believe the rhythms were crystal clear. The reds every month, reds meaning poor or poor performance or, you know, a low rating for me on that day. Crystal clear month by month by month over a six month period. So I no longer uh, uh, do uh, large presentations, keynotes or trainings on certain days of the month if I can help it. Now, sometimes it just is and I'm going to have to muscle through it and drink some extra coffee. Vacations with family because I'm more irritable certain times of the month. It's a fact. I can't believe it. But then if, if you really just think about it, it's actually pretty arrogant that a male human would think that they're the only living organism on Earth that doesn't have some impact from this moon thing when the ocean is actually moved by the moon and everything down to amoeba. Uh, and so here we are. I, I finally had that beat into me and thank goodness I did. And by the way, here's a great point. Like us humans, I'm talking to me too. This is all humans. I, I uh, really nerd out on, on the latest in, in quantum mechanics and quantum physics because it is becoming crystal clear that it, what we think is going on is absolutely not what's going on. And it's so easy to prove how little we know. Like I'm gonna, let's go through a little fun exercise here. So real quick, up, up top of your head, point, point to up for me. So it's obviously up. Mm-hmm. And then that, that's your, uh, you know, that's your left hemisphere answering quick. And if anyone else said that's not up, you'd be like, you're a moron, that's up. But then your right hemisphere gets a chance to talk a little bit and it says, actually, the Earth's spinning. And so while we're pointing up, I don't, I don't know, it's point, what's up? It depends what point in the Earth's spin it is. Right. Already it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess you're kind of right. And then the Earth's spinning around the sun and it's, it's like, spinning. And now you really don't know which way is up. And by the way, the sun's spinning around our galaxy, the Milky Way. Now <laughs> it's just total chaos and so on and so forth. So we don't know which way up or down is. That's a fact. It's all just our own little perception and our own little thing. Um, how big are we? How big are we? Are we pretty big or are we pretty small? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what big is and we don't know what small is. A plank bar is the smallest known thing. That's small. It's like 0.0 to the 36 negative power. That small of a number, how fast light travels across that small space, that's a plank bar. That's how small that is. I mean, that's small, subatomic, some quanta even. And then the cosmos on the large scale, we don't know where the end is. We have theories. So we don't even know if we're big or small. We might be big on the grand scheme of things. We don't know where we are. We're somewhere in deep blackness. We don't know when we are. <laughs> we just don't. We, you know, you'll hear people say, oh, 13.7 billion years is when it all started. Theory. There was a big right. fart. All of a sudden it's 13. Yeah. Okay, maybe. Big maybe on that. Um so anyways, we don't know where, when, how, why. We don't know anything. You're about two questions away from our little cram drawing of this complex helicopter engine away from people saying, man, I don't know. Even when you look on the pharmaceutical packages of, of drugs, it'll say a mechanism of action not declared. They don't know why it works. They just like, well, that that's replicatable. Uh, here's a drug. They don't know why. They don't know how it works. It's It all comes down to an electromagnetic field that we can't see. And so anytime you hear someone with absolute certainty uh, say something's a bad idea, not correct, like this moon cycle, well, 
the truth is everyone eventually realizes who's really on the, the journey of awareness that certainty is like the most dangerous of all ignorance. And it's certainty is also like the most devious kind of a prison to be in. Um, so, I, you know, it's so important. And this is one of the things I'm constantly beating on Liam, this, this uh, energy of certainty as a young man. Yeah, I had it. And now he's really, he's liking Andrew Tate and all this. And these guys coming in with all this arrogant attitude. Hey, Andrew Tate, he does have very strong logic, actually. If you put the emotion aside and just hear his words, he's very shockingly logical, actually. But woo, he is arrogant and oh, yeah. can't have that. Yeah, I mean, it, there are certain things that you listen to and it makes sense. But he packages it up at the like with the wrapping paper of a douchebag. And so that's why it's really tough to take it seriously. And I mean, when you start talking about our relative size in relation to the universe, I mean, that's one of those things where I feel like we need to like smoke some weed and, and sit out back and look at the moon and talk about it. Like it can totally drive you crazy when you start thinking about it in that capacity. But you did mention something really interesting as far as like your own recognition of how your biorhythms work in relation to what's going on in our, you know, in our solar system. Right. And so you recognize that there are certain times in the month where you're more irritable, where you won't give a presentation. Is that based on like of a 30 day period of time? It's like, all right, around the 15th of every month, this is what it is. Or is it during a waxing gibbous phase of the moon? That's what's going on in my life. It's that it's moon phase based on your birth. And believe me, I'm almost embarrassed to say it out loud. Um, but yeah, full moons are the time when my mind goes a little wacky. I cannot put things together clearly. My mind, my brain fogs way higher than it. And I don't sleep well. And it's just like clockwork. And I, I didn't think that or I wasn't told that and then charted it and put it in that way. I charted not believing this moon cycle thing. And it cleanly showed me that that was the case in reverse. So it wasn't some placebo thing where I went and proved what I thought. It actually disproved what I thought. That's why I feel so strongly about it. And it was a six month period. Yeah, that's not a 20 year study, but it was so consistent that I just didn't need to argue it anymore. I stopped, I stopped charting and I just went with it. So Um, I'm, I'm 45 years old. I'll be 46 December 2nd. I'm a Sagittarius. When during the month am I the most horny? (laughs) <laughs> what's your best guess <laughs> i wouldn't have a clue it's today jason today is the day all right now yeah no, this is when no it's so interesting though like there's there's a lot um there's a lot to that and you, before before we move on from that just if you could talk a little bit about the ultradium rhythm yeah. that was something that I, I had not heard about before but after going through the training I have been doing that without recognizing that that is what I've been doing. Like I know how I work and my work cycles. I'm not one to sit down for six hours and work. I need a work period. And then I need a 15, 20 minutes where I just leave it alone. I go for a walk. I go outside. I do something else just to clear that junk in my head. And then I can get back into it. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, almost uh, almost no humans are that person that six or eight hours just work through. Almost none. There are out there. But the Ultradian rhythm, all humans have this. Actually, all living creatures have this. All multi-world uh, organisms, or multi-celled organisms have it. It's a 24-hour, uh, you know, the 24-hour circadian rhythm we're all familiar with. The sun goes round, you need to sleep. You need to sleep. You need to sleep. The Ultradian rhythm is very similar. It's actually a 90-minute undulation. 
that we all have where you wake in the morning and once you kind of shake off the rust from the evening, the ultradian rhythm begins. And it's about 90 minutes where your nervous system and your chemistry wants to go out and produce and defend and, and you know do the masculine energy expression. And then the average person, and it, it, it you know it's different for everyone, uh, but the average is about after 90 minutes of being up and out and doing, you want to do some vagal toning downwards. Your nervous system actually needs a rest. The cortisol levels have to come down. The amygdala has to come down. You need to regulate. You need to downregulate. And you only need to do it for about 15 to 20 minutes. And if you do, then your next ultradian rhythm up will be a very high producing, high energetic ultradian rhythm cycle. And then after about 90 more minutes, your nervous system is going to wave a little yellow flag and say, hey, I need to go back down now for just 15 or 20 minutes. And then if you do that, it will continue to go back up just like it did in the early morning. Most people go out into the world and they're, they're kind of crushing it in the morning. That's easy. First, you'll trade in rhythm requests from your body says, hey, I need a little break. Uh, you coffee through it. And then there will be another one that kind of says, hey, I need another little break. Your coffee through that one. After two, you'll trade in rhythm ignorings. It is said that, that you don't get another request. You then stay either at baseline low or and then begin to decline steadily through the afternoon. And that's why some people that may listen to this understand like in the afternoon, the simple email can feel so hard. It's usually because you have ignored your you'll trade in rhythm. Your nervous system did not get to downregulate. And it's kind of like the sports analogy. I mean, name one sport where the performer doesn't get a very deeply meaningful break uh, of 12 boxing. What boxer is going to win the champion, the, the title, if they never go to the corner and get Mickey to throw some water on yeah. him, massage him and uh, NASCAR. I mean, it doesn't even have to be human. Machines are the same way. NASCAR. What if you never did pit stops? They wouldn't win a single race. They wouldn't even finish the race. But for some reason, business humans Think they don't need that. They're the only thing in the cosmos that don't need to take that occasional break. It's actually called the ultradian rhythm. It's roughly every 90 minutes. And do you have to take 15 to 20 minutes off? No. Five minutes is way better than never. So, and, and by the way, three deep breaths with your eyes closed, sitting right there at your computer is way better than nothing. So maybe you're in a job with a boss that just stares at you and you're not even allowed to take 15 seconds for yourself, but you can always do that eyes closed, deep breath often. Um, and it, it really is shocking the results that happen uh, if you just adhere to this. Just listen to yourself. It tells you. It sounds like, Dennis, you were already pretty good at doing that. Um, I'd recommend even going a layer deeper and just really between each task that you accomplish or get through. Just kind of go in, take a deep breath and say, do I still have that old energy? And the answer is pretty clear if you really just take a time out and listen to yourself. Yeah, so absolutely. And I'll, before I get into my thoughts around how it impacts education, for my own daily practice, I mean, I'm, I'm typically up anywhere between 5 and 5.30. And the first hour of the day, I'm very productive. Like I know like my levels of productivity, I, I'm, I'm usually being creative during that first hour, hour and a hook of the day. But then I pause it and I go for a walk. I get outside as the sun is coming up typically. And just 
breathe through my nose for 20, 25 minutes. And when I get back in from that, that next work cycle for that hour and a half, I am ready to roll. Like I'm, that's my, my best time of the entire day is that hour and a half after I go for that walk. And, but then I, I also know, like, I didn't realize I was doing it. I just felt like I need to pause this and just get away from it for a second, not recognizing that was the reason why I was doing it. And then you take that into schools. So schools are set up in one of two ways. They either have an eight period day where they go 45 minutes, then they get a two minute passing time in 45 minutes. And so they have they have their language arts teacher and the language arts teachers drilling shit at them for 45 minutes. They get out in the hallway to get to the next class and then the social studies teachers drilling shit into them for 45 minutes. Then they go to their math class. The only time that they get is the middle of the day for that 20, 25 minutes where they're eating lunch with some friends, but it's not really a downtime for them. So the, the, like with kids, it, it makes perfect sense to me that after their first two periods, they're like, they're shot and they miss that opportunity for the break. And then they get back from lunch. And I would see so many behaviors as a principal after lunchtime. It just makes sense to me. Or they're in a block schedule where they go 80 or 90 minutes. They get two minutes of three minutes of passing time. And then they go another 80 or 90 minutes. So if I'm an educator trying to create a system for success for my students, I mean, totally revamp the way it's working, but build in these incremental pieces of downtime for the kids and it's not oh if we do this we're not going to you know achieve the, this next level of what we need to do for whatever bullshit test you're giving to your kids i would argue the antithesis of that is if you give the kids more downtime you'll get higher peaks of uptime from the kids rather than them crashing at the end of the day that's me just working through that conversation right now as we're talking way higher peaks and including throughout the afternoon um, if, if you were to implement that, and I mean, I, I don't know the whole school situation as well as you do. I went through what I observed as public school and um, it, it was, it is designed and still running. We don't need to beat a dead horse, but it, you know, it is the industrial age model and you'll trade in rhythm was engineered out of that by about five industrialists around the turn of the century, work between the bells and then go do, you know, your life outside of it. If you have any energy left. It doesn't have to be that way at all. And a human can be very, uh, you know, out in front of it, maintain energy levels. And by the way, go home after with pretty much the similar energy that you had in the morning if you care for the machine throughout. And, and by the way, the the nutritional situation, the, the fact that there are, you know, soda machines in schools, uh, Oh my goodness, the ignorance that allowed that in when you look at what non-fibrous sugar does to neurochemistry. Wow. It, it, there couldn't have been a worse thing that they could put in school. And I actually mean that. I would have rather seen them put beer in. Um, at least it would have, you know, it would have just been a calming effect right, where right. they could at least sit and listen to something, maybe. But no, we don't need to get into a lot of that stuff. But yes, these things you saw in those modules, with your knowledge and your understanding, oh my goodness, I can't wait to see in the ways that you will bring this to students in a way that isn't just dropping a grenade in the current model, because that's not how it works. We need to, you know, it needs to be modular change. And a lot of the things you saw in these modules, that's just how, there are two tools we're talking about, the human brain, that's one tool that there are ways to optimize it. And they're just little, little adjustments. And the other one is an organization system. So students have a lot going on. And for some reason, they're not really taught in organization system and practicing it. 
So I think for you to cut and paste this and layer it into some form that can be digested by um, students and by the way, by teachers and anyone else in the system, because let's face it, the, the teachers aren't exactly often out in front of it either. They've got a lot on their plates. They've got to get the students ready for these daggone tests that they have to get or they'll lose their funding. They're under tremendous pressure. I don't envy them at all. And the system isn't their fault. They're just doing the best they can and they care a lot. Um, but these little adjustments to help with the chemistry of the children to promote higher well-being and way better results in learning, uh, I, I can't wait to watch where you take this. It's going to be fun. Oh, absolutely. It's one of those things where it was a missing piece as I'm really thinking intentionally about what do schools need to do? You know, public schools are not going away. I think we need to really look critically at how they're they're structured. And even the courses that we're going to help kids work through, there's no course around organization. There's no course around how our mind works in relation to how we process and complete daily tasks. It's just assumed that you need to go and do this and figure it out. Well, here's the thing. I mean, if, if kids are struggling with whatever other things are going on and now add in social media and all the immediate gratifications are getting on a, a left and right basis, we, we want them to be able to be successful at whatever the curriculum is that we're trying to put in front of them without giving them the tools necessary to talk about it. You use the analogy, and I love it, of the steak knife. So talk to us a little bit about that, because I think it, it fits in well here. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it, us humans are, we have these amazing tools and these amazing pieces of technology, but we're not utilizing them the way they were designed to be used. Like the steak knife, great example. Yeah, we go to a steak restaurant and beautiful filet in front of us, and you go to pick up that, that steak knife, but that's the correct tool, right? A steak knife to cut through steak. But what if you pick that steak knife up by the blade end and try to cut through that piece of steak? A couple things will happen. You know, you're going to have to push extra hard because the handle end is on the meat trying to, you know, mush through it. You're going to wear yourself out trying to push hard. You're going to hold the blade real tight because you're pushing hard. You're going to cut yourself. You're going to bleed on the steak. You're going to gross the people out at the restaurant that you're in. Horrible things happen because you use the perfect technology, the steak knife, to do the job but you held it the wrong way. And when, when we look at like Gmail and Google and email and Outlook and all these platforms, most of us are just living out of that inbox, instant messages and email tethered to our brain. And what that's doing to your neurochemistry and your cortisol levels is devastating. And it doesn't have to be that way. And it, it does remind me of, you know, the uh, inbox is really a, a piece of technology that was, designed to really just be like your mailbox at home. It's a delivery mechanism. Think about your mailbox at home. You walk out to the end of your driveway deliberately, you empty it, and you go back to your kitchen counter or your desk to do the doing of what was in that mailbox. We most definitely don't stay out at the end of the driveway and wait for the mailman to come back and deliver more mail like we do with our inbox. Uh, we don't work on it out at the mailbox. We don't use our mailbox as a filing cabinet and a and a task list, no way. The thing would be piling up and just a mess. No, there are better ways to use these technologies uh, to become kind of like your own personal secretary and an outsourced part of your brain. 
so that your brain is then freed up to be what it's supposed to be, a creativity machine, a problem-solving machine. That's the genius of human. And if you happen to be one of those people who can keep 10,000 things up in your brain and everything's organized, congratulations, you're a special kind of person and you fit in, in some areas of this world that are needed. Most of us are not that though. Most of us are a little bit flighty and creative and you know just out there all that stuff should be out of your brain. You shouldn't be having to remember anything about when the doctor's appointment is or what the next thing to do is in your geometry class. That should all be in your system. And the fact that schools aren't addressing this is it's a border. It's borderline insanity. It's just here, kids. Apparently you popped out of the womb knowing how to be organized. So there's your list. Good luck. Exactly. And it's, we teach kids Every historical event that's happened in the United States since 1776, they know about, you know, ancient Mesopotamia. They're learning about Spanish-speaking countries and their capitals. We're asking them to memorize these things, but we're not teaching them how to organize themselves. We're not teaching them how to organize their thoughts, to come up with a system for it. We're not teaching them how to manage conflict. We're not teaching them how to deal with their own emotions in a, in a deep and meaningful way. We're not teaching them to think about their own thinking and about how they learn and what that's the stuff that we need to be doing in school. Those are the things, take those life lessons and put them into whatever you're doing in your life, professionally, personally, with relationships, those things will help you across the board. It doesn't matter that whatever the capital of San Salvador is like that's a, that does not matter or El Salvador is it El Salvador is the country in San Salvador is the, see I don't I don't even know that shit and I like I'm, I got Google right that's what it's for so what you what you're doing is you're taking the your background and your your knowledge around the way that our brains work the way that we function as human beings all these these different rhythms that we're experiencing and, and you're create you've created a system that just works and as I'm going through the training yesterday Jason I'm I'm watching what you're doing. I said, I'm going to, my phone's not going to be anywhere near me. I have my journal in front of me. So this is my, this is my like textbook that I was using. I'm writing things down. I'm highlighting certain things. And then you get to the way that our brains are functioning in this multitasking bullshit thing that people think they're multitaskers. And you say it's something along the lines of 0.04% of people can actually multitask. The rest of us are fooling ourselves pretty much. And I thought I was a decent multitasker. And I'm looking at my screen and I have three different windows and each window has like 10 tabs. Because if I close my email down and I close the downloads for the podcast down and if I close down my Google Calendar, I have to open it back up again. And I don't want to do that. So as you're talking, I'm looking at the junk that's on my screen. I'm like, what a goddamn hypocrite I am right now. I'm going through right. this and, and I have all this shit up. My goodness. And, and Dennis, you know, you went through the modules. You know the amount of time in cognitive switch tax you're paying. Yes. It's, uh, the average Western worker pays one month of their life just re-ramping their neural networks from distractions. And yeah, Gallup organization, they call it super tasking. It's a rare creature that's born with the ability to simultaneously process more than one bit of information or thought pattern in their prefrontal cortex. So the rest of us, we're just paying cognitive taxes, jumping back and forth, and those neural networks are having to re-ramp and re-ramp and re-ramp every time that little email ding happens. And that's a month of your life. No value. I mean, if, time, if minutes of your life mean something to you, you we need to learn this. And it, there's no better generation to learn this than the one that's coming up right now, because I'm here to tell you, I'm trying not to be certain here <laughs> on my own advice, right? 
But this one I'm pretty damn certain of. This generation, the 16-year-old, my son's generation, the few that learn the master craft of distraction management and, and, and start to respect long format again, they're going to run circle. They're going to own the world that does not do that. They really will uh, because they're all just tethered to this 30-second instant gratification dopamine storm. And that's what we need to bring to education. Uh, the teachers, they've got to hurry up and get their students to get that test result so that the funding keeps coming or whatever. It's going to have to be something from outside of the system coming in and saying, hey, this is a well-being training. It's true. It's an effectiveness training, too. Their grades will go up. Their well-being, their health, their social skills, everything will go up because we introduce, we reintroduce stillness to them and how healthy that is. Start to untether from this, this level of social connectivity. Now, I'm not one that says get rid of it all. In fact, I think, oh, social media is amazing. I love it. I learned so much from it, but it's deliberate and well-managed. And you just need to find that middle way. And it can't just be all the time, always on. So before we go, Dennis, I know we're getting kind of close to time. There's one little story I wanted to share before we hang up. But did you did you want to? No, no, I, I do. There's there's a million other things. I definitely want to do a, a round two of this, Jason, in the future. But I'll like definitely tell your story right now. I, I definitely love to hear it. Great. Yeah, it's a, a NASA several years back. They were they wanted to find creative geniuses uh, out of student populations. And so they did a huge cross longitudinal study and they create they, they uh, uh, onboarded a, a third party research firm that created a test to give to students across all economic statuses, uh, geographies, uh, race, gender, didn't matter. They wanted a complete random test on a very large population of US uh, students. They started at the age of five with this. uh, I think the actual formal seeking was a creative genius was what they titled it. And of all these students across all stratum, um, at the age of five, what percentage do you believe tested creative genius formally by this test created by NASA? At the age of five? I think a higher percentage than at the age of 18. I'll give you that. That's true. So at the 24%. 98. 98%. Almost every one of them. Creative genius formally tested. Five years later, they came back, same students across the board. Five years later, at the age of 10, what happened to 98%? What were they at the age of 10? By half, 50%. 30%. All right. All right. Five years later, 15, the age of 15. How many 12%. are our testing? 12%. 14%. Okay. And then they did one more time at the age of 20. Guess what? 2%. Two percent, two percent. And they attributed it to two variables. The leading variable was they went through the school system and they were put in the box and they were told, please stop bothering me. I have a thing to teach you. Stop being creative. (laughs) And so no one was able to really express in their own genius. You have to be just climb trees. Don't worry about swimming. You just climb trees. So we all know that analogy. Uh, But the other one was cultural norms as well. 
So I love what Krishnamurti says. He says, we are so well adjusted to a sick society and it's no sign of health. And that is the case with creativity and productivity and everything. We are well adjusted to an unbelievably distracted culture. And the schooling system is not playing in the favor of creative genius. And that study proved it from 98%. Almost every human born is creative genius, statistically studied. By the age of 20, when they're done with school, 2%. Wow. We're just a bunch of hammer swing, yep. do the do the widget and go home tired. Doesn't have to be that way. And that's the mission I'm on. I that that is the mic drop moment. That's an unbelievable study that you just quoted right there. It it makes me one sad that that's the case, but then two, optimistic potentially about the work that you're doing. And if we rewrite the script script now, it's just because it's been done this way doesn't mean we have to keep doing it this way, right? The definition of insanity. So there is this opportunity. Before I ask my last question, tell us where we can find you and get in touch with you. Yeah, uh, focus2evolve.com is the one place I'd say, just go contact us. I love hearing from everybody on any subject, especially when it comes to health, well-being, and just being more meaningfully productive in life. We'll put that into the show notes. My final question, Jason, is if someone's listening to this podcast, you've already blown their mind. They're already rethinking everything they've ever done in their entire life, how their circadian rhythms work. They're, these new rhythms they're finding out about, they're trying to figure out what portion of the of the moon cycle is you know, the best time for them to do everything. Tell them, tell the audience one thing that, that they can do right now. So say they put uh, press pause on the episode and one thing that they can do by doing this one thing it will change the trajectory of their life it'll change what their future is going to look like by doing this one thing so many things that flood in that i would like to say the quickest thing is to have the deepest knowing that Truly, when you allow yourself, when you engineer in, whether it be put it on your calendar and obey it or just do it, when you get to stillness, the answer's there. Trust yourself, but you have to hear stillness. You got to turn the social media off. Got to turn the world off. Go inside. There's a reason the good book says, be still and know that I'm God. Every religion across the board has a very similar line. And uh, that would be my advice is give yourself some stillness so that you can recover. This is a biochemical advice, and this is a spiritual advice, and it doesn't come from me. I mean, it's been said in every good book that's ever been written in every corner of the world in every age. So if you're just sprinting through another day, laying down exhausted, getting up tired again and groundhog daying it, stop it. It's on you. Just stop it. Go to stillness. Great piece of advice. First time we've we've heard that piece of advice here. It's a good one. We um I've enjoyed this hour, man. This has been this has been a great learning experience for me. And after going through the course, I was I'm just I want I'm wanting more. I'm wanting to learn more and understand more about how my my brain works and then how I can take that information and help impact others that are going through something similar as well. So my man, dude, it has been an honor. I appreciate you as a friend. I appreciate you um, as a as a partner in the future. And for the Building Men audience, go one step further than you thought you could go. We'll see you next time on Building Men.